Welcome everyone to Seek, Go, Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. And as always, I'm coming to you from the front seat, the passenger seat of our RV Theo. This is uh, Seek, Go, Create headquarters. And kind of a cool thing today, I'm actually not too far geographically from our guest. And we'll get to that in just a moment. You are definitely going to want to stick around. We're going to have a great conversation on leadership, all things leadership today. And anyone that is uh, a listener, uh, a member, a regular on Seat Go Create, they know that one of our mantras is that we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. And that is exactly what we're going to be heavily talking about today, especially leadership. We, um, we're going to be discussing uh, so many things that I really would like it if you continue the conversation beyond what we discussed today. And here's how you do that. You can find us on all the socials. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're now on Clubhouse. We're on LinkedIn. All of those places you can find uh, this episode, especially after the episode releases. But you can find us there and continue the dialogue. But what I'd really love for you to do is go to our website, Seek gocreate.com. It's seekgocreate.com. And when you go there, if you're there for the first time, it'll ask you for your email address. You can look around without giving your email address, but we would love to have it just so that we could stay connected and you can be up to date on all of our episodes, on all that we're doing. And uh, while you're there, go take a look at the episode pages because we have in-depth outlines and notes with timestamp, timestamps, quotes, everything that you need to really dive in deeper to these episodes. And I can promise you that today is going to be a day that you're going to want to do that. We have Dan Duckworth as our guest today, and I had so much fun doing my research on him. Everything, every kind of rock I overturned, everything I looked at, everything that I, I did a search on, I went, ooh, 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 this is a guy that I'm going to love talking to. He, uh, he's a change maker, teacher, and a community builder. He founded the Crucible Life, an online leadership community of change makers to facilitate his mission to make deep change accessible to the masses, not just top executives. I love that. He's led complex executive letter transfer, executive level transformation, transformational initiatives as a peon, a CEO, a consultant, a coach, a teacher, and an entrepreneur. Dan, welcome to Seek Go Create. Hey, I'm just as excited as you are for this. So thank, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I kind of, I, I butchered the intro there because you had some really big words there, bigger maybe than my my Georgia boy. Peon is, a, peon is a really big word. You got to think hard about how to say that, right? It was so many of those other words though. Peon, I don't know if we had that when I was growing up where I was in Georgia, but Hey, Dan, listen, I, I, I could launch into so many things right off, but I kind of warned you a little bit. I've got a first question that I love to ask. I give the bio. We all write great bios and they're all awesome. But you and I just bump into each other somewhere. and Maybe we know we've got some leadership, you know, genes that we love to discuss. But just in general, you bump into someone and they say, Dan, what do you do? What do you typically tell people? You know, it's such an interesting question because I get asked that a lot. And it's really hard for me to answer because I can't answer it without telling my stories, right? Because I've, I've, I've left the traditional path, okay? So initially I was what I now call a change maker. I was somebody inside organizations leading change. And I did that as the lowest person in the organization. And I did that as the CEO of an organization. Then I left that world to become a leadership 
teacher slash consultant slash coach. And so I could define myself in terms of those roles. And then more recently, I left that behind. And I've been pursuing a different passion, a different uh, assignment, as I believe you like to call it. Mm -hmm. And in that assignment, I recently had this epiphany, Tim, in which I realized I am no longer a teacher. Now, it doesn't mean I don't teach, but it's not my primary identity. My primary identity is now switching to being a gatherer. I am now a gatherer or a community builder. And that's my job. That's my role. My job is to find the right people, meaning the people for our community, and to bring them in to our community. And teaching might be a magnet, might be a, a way that I do that. And, and teaching might be a utility that I use to help, you know, the work of the community that we're doing. But primarily my identity has shifted and it's now that of a gatherer. Yeah, that that's such an interesting term. And I, I'm taking notes here as we go along. And Here's what I love. I share this with people all the time. I, I typically have notes and things that I write down. But after I ask that question, we usually start zigzagging in other directions. And I wrote down a few words that we're going to come back to. But before I, I address that, you and I have had some similar experiences. I mean, I, I want to share with people. I'm in uh, currently at the time of recording. I'm on the other side of the mountains. You're in the greater Salt Lake area. And I'm on the other right. side of the mountains in the Eber Valley. And it's a beautiful day where I'm at, probably where you are today. But mm -hmm. at one point, I'm going to I'm going to jump into one piece of your story first, just to kind of draw a connection here. At one point, you kind of went through an epiphany or a change or something in your life where you and your family jumped in an RV and took off. Tell, tell me more about that, because I'm here in the passenger seat of the RV. <laughs> well, you want to more, know more about our experience in the RV or what got us in the RV? Just let's, let's just kind of go laser into what got you into it. And then we'll talk a little bit about the experience. And then we're going to do a deep dive into leadership. Okay. So my background, I spent some time overseas living in different countries, especially uh, Taiwan, some time in India. And I've always wanted to go live in a third world country. And so when my job became a teacher, a consultant, I had a lot more flexibility. I was self-employed. I started saying to Jolene, my wife, like, let's go live in a third world country. And she was like, there's no way, there's no way that's not going to happen. And then one day um, we both went to two different church meetings and I came home from church and I was sitting there waiting for the family to come home and they came home from their church meeting and they said, dad, dad, we got it. We got it figured out. We can't go live in a third world country, but we have the idea. I said, okay, what is it? And they said, we're going to buy an RV and we're going to travel. They said this, we're going to travel to all 50 states in an RV. And I said, well, it might be hard to hit Alaska and it's not going to happen to Hawaii. But I said, listen, you guys are crazy because I have six kids. I said, you guys are crazy. I am not going to live in a box on wheels with eight people. That's just not going to happen. Well, fast forward six months. And we got connected to, there's a family with nine kids who live in an RV. They have a YouTube channel. So we're watching their channel, kind of getting fascinated by it. And then we feel this subtle calling, this subtle impression that says you need to sell your house. And we had three acres in Michigan. We loved it. It was beautiful. But we thought, okay, we're going to get this ready. And, and God is going to provide for us a new house in the same city. We'll put offers on three houses. We lost all three opportunities, even though we were bidding above price. And we ended up having our house selling and having nowhere to go. And so this idea of living in a trailer came back. And I came back to Jolene and I said, well, what if we, what if we bought a trailer 
an RV or, or an RV motorhome or a trailer at that point. We ended up doing the trailer. And I said, what do we bought it? We park it outside town and we just live in it for a couple of months until we find our house. She goes, I am not going to live in a trailer in one spot. If we live in a trailer, we are traveling the country. And at that point I was like, we were very prayerful about it, but I just said, okay, let's go. And so we went. And did you do all 50 states? I actually know someone who took their RV to Hawaii one time, just so you know. It is possible. <laughs> I asked them how much it was. It was like 25000 to ship it on a ship to there. They were actually wow. going to take it there and then travel around in Hawaii. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not pretending to do that ourselves. But uh, so what all did you see? What was the experience like? You know, we, it's, it's virtually impossible to do all 50 states within a time frame. Mm -hmm. So, and I was working as we were going, so I did have some constraints. So we left Michigan, basically went up to the Northeast, all the way up to Maine, Acadia National Park. And then we traveled down the East Coast, you know, through DC and things like that. And ended up in Florida where her grandma lives, spent some time there and then worked our way across the South. And we actually, we, you know, the winter months are hard when you're in an RV, you can't go anywhere. You have to go to certain places. We decided to answer another calling that we felt like we were feeling. So we parked the RV for two months. And we went to China with the kids and we spent five weeks in China, three weeks in Taiwan. Um, then we came back and we finished the trip, ended up here in Utah, which is where I went to high school, where all my siblings live. And it was at that point that we were like, yeah, we thought we were going back to Michigan, but we're just going to stay here. So we did. We never went back. That is all right. So it's really cool. So so what you're really stressing and I think this is what I hear when people look at what we do and what you guys did is there is a certain level of flexibility to that that you see things and do things but there are challenges too so before we move on tell me the best thing about that time and the most challenging thing about that time okay so I'm going to switch the order okay good so so the most challenging thing about that time was that for us especially with having six kids every day was at least in the beginning every day felt like life or death mm. okay like we literally almost died the first night we were fishtailing all over the freeway we had major issues like and so every day was intense every day was a struggle and 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 i already know because i have so many friends that go i would never do that because they don't want the intensity they don't want the struggle yeah. but actually that's what we were craving because our life had become stale. Like we had, you know, I don't mean to say this the wrong way because we had bouts with cancer and bouts with depression and, and things like that, financial stress and so forth. But we had essentially conquered the life that we were living. And what we were really craving was the struggle was the adventure. And so even though that was the most challenging aspect of it, it was also the most thrilling and the most rewarding aspect of it, because every day was an opportunity to grow. But so let me now clarify when I say the greatest part of it was doing it together. Mm. Okay. Because today, you know, in our modern culture, especially suburban culture, there are so many forces out there that are pulling families apart and they do it with the best intentions, but the school demands their time and energy the sports demand their time and energy. Even the local churches demand their time and energy. And you're constantly getting pulled and yanked like this. But for one year, we were completely together. We were in the struggle together as a family. It was so incredibly transformative for our family. There isn't 
there isn't a month, I'll say at this point, there isn't a month that goes by that somebody doesn't, one of the kids or us doesn't look at each other and say, what are we doing here? Let's go back in the trailer. Best year of our lives. Yeah. And, but it's so powerful what you brought up because people ask us all the time, they go, oh, that must be awesome. And you know, it is awesome, but you brought up something that is, is, is a key it's been a big challenge for us, and that is the climate. I mean, you're much more susceptible to the weather. And oh, yeah. and when the pandemic occurred last February, March, we were in Colorado where our first grandchild was being born. And that is typically not where one wants to be in an RV, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we just hunkered down and stayed there until June. And, you know, there were times my mood and my attitude was not, and I'm a positive mental attitude guy. It was not that positive. I'll tell you, you know, when things are freezing and changing and all of that, but, you know, I love what you said, Dan, y'all really were pushing yourselves and you, but you were pushing yourselves together. And, you know, we could go off on so many things like team building, family dynamics, leadership, all of that. But the simple fact that y'all went on a journey and a mission together it's something that y'all can't replace for the rest of your lives. You'll probably have, there'll be generations that may discuss that. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And as a kid, we, we moved around a lot. So I lived in a bunch of different States, a bunch of different houses. And I can tell you that created struggle that brought us together as a family. And we had been in the same house, same place for eight years. And so we were just, we weren't having that same kind of struggle anymore. And so we basically volunteered you know, to take that struggle, we felt called to do it, but we said, yes, we'll, we'll go voluntarily have this struggle. And, and I do a lot with volunteering with the, the youth through church programs and sports programs and things like that. And the one thing that I think most parents really don't appreciate or understand is not only the value, but the necessity of struggle for both young people, but also for us as, as adults, as parents, as grandparents, you got to have struggle to grow. There is no growth without struggle. And so if you're if you if you spend your whole life trying to create comfort and ease and consistency and reliability and predictability, there's a lot of value in that, but at some point you're actually working yourself out of the opportunity to grow. Yeah. All right. You just hit so many triggers that kind of got me bouncing a little bit here in in my office because my wife and I just earlier were discussing what a comfort centric society and culture we are all in. And one of the things we were just asking about was, you know, if this last year, 12, 14 months, you know, pandemic almost will serve. And and listen, there's a lot of issues related to it. I'm not making light of it related to the sickness and death and other things that went on, but that as a whole and big picture, it may have been a bit of a reset in, in showing people you know, there is a lot of discomfort that we have to deal with. And maybe we will all as a culture and society be better because of it, hopefully. But all right. So there's, there's, there's something I want to get to before we dive in further. And I just want to set the bar for the discussion that I would like for us to have revolving around leadership. And, and my first, I guess this is just a question that it's going to fit into one of the unanswerable questions. So I know it's going to be your opinion, but it's the opinion that I want from you related to this. So here goes. The current state of leadership in the world that we are in, if we were to give it a grade, 
One being it's absolutely horrible, 10, or if you want to go to a scale of 100, meaning that it couldn't be any better, what grade would you give the state of leadership in our current culture and society? That's a very interesting question. So my background, my educational background is in public policy. So I, I do, or I have at times spent a lot of time looking into leadership at the more of the societal, social level. And then of course, spent a lot of time working with corporate leaders um, as well as with other uh, leaders in different domains. Um, I would say this, the, the question that I would rather answer is what way is it trending? Good. And I'm not, I'm not a historian and I only have my own lifespan to really judge by, but I actually don't think leadership is getting any worse or any better. I think that from the beginning of human history, we've had social problems and we've had issues with how we deal with each other. And also we have a force that's known as culture, which is a sociological force that locks us into certain behaviors, which sometimes get us the results we want and other times don't get us the results we want. So from the beginning of time, these forces have been at play and it has always required leadership to break those forces or to break communities free of the oppression that those forces put on them. I think what's changing in our modern world is our access to information. So we can see the struggles that people are having a continent away. Whereas 300 years ago, even a hundred years ago, you could only see the struggle in your neighborhood. Maybe if you read the newspapers, you could see the struggle in your state or your country. Now you can see the struggle that every single person on the planet is having because they get on Facebook or Instagram and start telling you about their struggle. And I think that creates a lot of, uh, of pessimism or anxiety or of cynicism about the condition of the world. And I look at it more and I say, you know what? I think the world's always been dealing with this. The world has always been locked in struggle. It's always been locked in conflict. It's always been locked in status quos that weren't helpful. And the world has always looked for leaders to help break communities free from those constraints. Hmm. All right. There's so much there. And I, I think you can tell what I want to do is kind of start at a macro level and maybe work our way down to micro. I love the word that you, I love you correcting me and using a word trending. And I will say that I'm in total agreement that in all likelihood, it's probably the same. Hasn't gotten worse. Hasn't gotten better. The thing at times that bothers me, and I'll just mention this and I'll let you address it and I'll, I'll allow you to correct me or say, yeah, maybe, maybe not is that I am now probably 30 plus years into study of exposure to being around leadership, leadership training, leadership development in some form or fashion. And, and I sometimes wonder if we're getting traction in helping with society and culture. And so my, and I hope it's not my cynical nature. Sometimes I go, darn, are we really making a difference? And then other times I go, yes, we're making a difference. Respond to that statement and give me your thoughts. So let me, let me share with you my thoughts about the, the leadership development industry. Great. As a way, as a way of answering that, because I'm not born and bred in this industry. I was invited uh, by somebody who I had hired as a consultant 
after he saw a project I was working on and he said, why don't you come out and help me teach other people how to do this? So I got into this industry sideways. I'm not trained in it. I don't feel beholden to it. Um, in some ways I'm actually leaving it at, at the moment with the current work that I'm doing. What I find in the leadership development industry is a whole lot of snake oil salesmen. Now I've already just offended a lot of your listeners. Okay. So let me, let me describe what I mean by that. So the, the classic definition of snake oil is you're selling a product that doesn't deliver on its promise. Now, if you know the history of the true snake oil phenomena that happened in, in the 1800s, I think, um, there were a lot of people selling snake oil that actually believed that it worked. They didn't know that it didn't work, or they didn't know that the manufacturer had had uh, changed the ingredients without letting them know. And the label said it was one thing and it was actually another thing. Okay. So I'm not saying that everybody who's selling snake oil in the leadership industry is doing it with bad intention. I believe them. I'm sure there are some people who know that what they sell doesn't deliver promises, but they know it sells. So they keep selling it. But our industry in this world of social media and uh, on-demand TV and all this stuff has really devolved into uh, an industry where it's about getting it's about getting likes it's about getting uh you know uh hits it's about getting downloads and so they're selling a message that that appeases the people it gives the people what they want to hear what they want to see but that isn't necessarily helping them to transform it isn't necessarily helping them to become or to change as leaders because that is a very different process. It's a very different experience. And so I'll just wrap this up and, and let you give your thoughts on this. Um, I actually think a lot of what the leadership industry does is counterproductive. It's actually leading to an entrenchment of beliefs, to an entrenchment of assumptions, to an entrenchment of behavior. People walk away and they go, okay, I'm okay. I'm doing what I should be doing. Or they, they, they tinker here, they tinker there, or they watch a podcast or they go to a leadership program and they were entertained and they walk away and go, I did my leadership development work. I'm good, right? But nothing changes. And so that's when I got into this industry, Tim, I started to see this tension of giving the people what they wanted but nothing changes. And deep down in my soul, I am a change maker. It's what I did in, in business. It's what I do in families. It's what I do in the church. I'm a change maker. And so when I started being a leadership teacher or consultant, I couldn't live with myself unless I was making change that I believed was going to last. That was permanent, sustainable change. And so that's what put me on a journey to say, there has to be a better way, another way to do this. And, and frankly, that's how we got to where we are today. Right. And I think you can tell from just the way I pose that comment or question that I have some challenges and struggles with, we'll call it the industry. And I'll even say that at times I have challenges with the word leader and or leadership because I've been in so many environments where I've had, uh, you know, I've been a mentor coach. I've been in around teaching training environments. I going back to the early 90s, worked with the Bell South Leadership Institute, whatever the heck those three words mean. OK, um, I know what Bell South means. I know what you know what I'm saying. And, I know what you're saying. And, and so and so I do at times wonder, maybe this is where I was going with this. I've had because I've been in a Bible school environment and things like that. I've had young people come up to me and say, I want to be a leader. Tell me what I have to do to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And I almost want to respond. This is a little bit, I know this is a little bit harsh, 
but I'm almost saying the way you're asking it almost disqualifies you right out of the gate. <laughs> I don't, yeah, again, that's a little bit harsh, but it's almost like I appreciate what you're doing. But I mean, we could go into spiritual principles here, but you know, a servant is more the leader and things like that. But it's almost like we've created this environment of leader, leadership, leadership training, the industry, and we almost are not even putting ourselves. I mean, I won't go down this path here, but I'm even trying to find different words that might even describe it, which then flips it around. I'm going to come back to the word that you use quite a bit, which is change maker. And, and I'm going to ask you to define that more and maybe contrast it with that word leader or leadership, because all throughout your bio, all throughout your write-ups, if we go to the Crucible Life page, the word change maker keeps popping up. So talk to us more about what a change maker is and why you are that. So we really are having like parallel journeys because I have struggled so much with that word leader. Good. I mean, if you want to jump on that, go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go on that and then I'm going to define change maker because that's the story of how I got to it, right? You know, people people will talk about this, they'll preach about it. I'm connected to the University of Michigan, so a lot of discussion with the faculty, very smart, brilliant researchers, right? But nobody can really put their finger on what leadership is. I had a distinct moment in one of the last corporate projects I led where I was recognizing the value of what I was doing as a leader. And I was asking myself, what is it that I'm doing? And the direct words came into my head. You're inspiring people to do things they wouldn't otherwise do, to accomplish things that they wouldn't otherwise accomplish. That is leadership. Getting people to do something that they would not do without your intervention so that they can create and produce an outcome that they could not create without doing that thing. That's what leadership is. And when I got into leadership consulting and with, with my partner, I, I put that out to him and we've had discussions and debates and so forth and so on, right? And so I would say to myself, well, what am I? Am I an executive? Am I an entrepreneur? Am I a teacher? I just don't like to be defined by those roles because I am all of those things and none of those things. And then one day I came across this phrase, this word change maker, and it was like a bell was going off in my head. And I said to myself, I'm a change maker. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a coach. I'm not an executive. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm a change maker. And I make change in each of those other roles. Those are utilities. Those are uh, functions that allow me to be a change maker. Now, specifically, when, when I say change maker, what do I mean? A change maker is a leader. And a leader is a change maker, but we're going to call it a change maker because the word leader doesn't mean anything anymore. So a change maker is someone who feels called to change the world. Not necessarily the earth, the globe, but the world that they live in. Okay. So it's somebody who I believe God is planting in the hearts of people, a desire to lead change. And it usually starts like this, Tim. They recognize that their situation is problematic. Something isn't right. They're not getting the results they want. They're stuck and they might be stuck in a wonderful life, but they have no control over it. And they recognize it's just happening to me and they can feel that they're stuck. And it comes with a corresponding feeling that says, I think I'm supposed to do more. I think I'm supposed to be more 
because the people I love and the communities I care about need me to do more and be more. In other words, change needs to be led. And instead of complaining about that change, I'm starting to recognize, I think I'm supposed to be the one that leads the change. Now, some people are very far advanced in their change maker identity. They've been leading change for three or four decades. And it's now just recognizing in their new situation, oh, I'm supposed to be a leader in this situation. Some people are at the beginning of their you know, adulthood or their teenagers. Some people might be 40 or 50 years old. And for the very first time in their lives, they're having that feeling, that call of the change maker is what I call it. So that's all it takes to be a change maker. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have skills. You don't have to have knowledge. You simply feel the call or the desire to lead change. That makes you a change maker. Right. So do you think that there are, I've got like two or three questions that it's coming from this conversation. So first thing that I want to bring up is, do, do you think, I, this is kind of going back to my issues with the word leader. For mm-hmm. for decades, we have heard things like, you know, you're born a leader, you, you don't make a leader. You know, some people have leadership traits, characteristics, some people don't. Mm-hmm. You can learn some of the skills things like that. You know, is there a certain personality profile? Are they more the outgoing gregarious or are they the, you know, inward? I, I, and, and, and that's an issue I think with that word leader, but do you think that that is also the case with someone that we may call a change maker? Is there a certain profile, a certain type person? I hate to say personality style, but is there something that we can say is in common for people that would be change makers? The only thing that they have in common is that they feel the call of the change maker. So in our industry, I've spent a lot of time looking at why different programs approach leadership development differently. And what I recognize is that it comes down to your fundamental belief about what leadership is and how it is changed. If you believe leadership is a skill, then you will help people practice skills. If you believe leadership is about knowledge, about what you know, then you will transfer knowledge to them. You'll sit them in a classroom and you'll teach them. 95%, I would exaggerate, but I think probably upwards of 95% of the leadership uh, gurus or programs in, in the world focus on leadership as a skill or as knowledge. But my experience was screaming to me, that's not true because I have led crazy dramatic changes in which I had no skills, in which I had no knowledge, in which I had no authority, in which I had no position, in which I had no tools. And it fundamentally came down to my character. And so there's plenty of research coming out from uh, th- that fits into the field of transformational leadership or authentic leadership development. A guy by the name of Dr. Bruce Avolio at the University of Washington. He says it best. He says, leadership is about character. Character normally changes or transforms through crisis. Okay. Mm -hmm. So character, let me take that. Can I just take a step back and say character is the reflection of the experiences that you've had in your life and the interpretation you've given to those experiences. So Dr. Volio says that two thirds of your leadership performance is due to your character, not to your traits. Your traits are one third, what you were born with. Okay. But two thirds is due to your character, the experiences you've had and the interpretation interpretation you've given to those experiences. So then I asked myself, how does that change? Dr. Volio says, through crisis. When you hit a crisis point, you're willing to unwind all of your narrative in your head about who you are and the experiences you've had and rethink everything and repack everything because you have no other choice. You're about ready to die. 
either metaphorically speaking or really speaking, you know, literally speaking. So then I said to myself, okay, so if I want to help people transform their leadership, I have to help them transform their character, which means I have to get them to invite themselves into a crisis. That doesn't sound like something I want to be doing or that people would even say yes to. So then I started to say, well, what is going on in the crisis? Can we simulate that? Dr. Volio says, and these are my words because he doesn't say it very clearly, but he says there are three mindsets or mental states that are going on when you're in the crisis. One is focused learning. I call these the three keys to leadership transformation. One is focused learning. The second is deliberate experimentation. And the third is deep reflection. Okay. And this goes back to the episode you just posted a couple of weeks ago about purpose and purpose finding, because you talked repeatedly in that episode, you were hitting on these three keys, focused learning. Remember, it's not about knowledge. It's learning for epiphanies. An epiphany is a flash of self-awareness. So you're learning about yourself and your world as they really are, not as you tell yourself they are. Number two is you go out and you do something very specifically and intentionally different based off of your new theory about the way the world really is. You do something provocative, which might fail, which might blow back in your face. And normally you're trying to create comfort and control and consistency, but instead you do the opposite. You embrace the land of uncertainty. You embrace the refiner's fire. The third thing that you're doing is deep reflection. You talked about stopping and thinking, pondering, finding a quiet place, be still, right? That is a key element of what's happening when you're in a crisis and when you pass through crisis successfully. Sorry, I got all these notifications. I didn't know we're on. Yeah, that's okay. I got a new I got a new computer, Tim, and I don't really know how to control it. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> Somebody's wanting you. Switch that was timely. Right as right as you went to through the third thing, we all of a sudden started hearing bells ringing. Maybe it was uh, <laughs> uh, you know some kind of uh, you know God saying yes, y'all are getting this. Ding 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 <laughs> ding ding ding. Uh, that's cool. So uh, I, I I love all that. I'm gonna take this as a pause because uh, I wrote down the word more when you were talking about being a change maker. And I love those, those points you made, but I, I actually wanted to tie this back to something you mentioned right when I asked you about what you do. You use the word gatherer, and we're going to talk about your community and all in just a moment. I've got some uh, very specific questions I want to ask about that, but can you tie together the word change maker, the word gatherer? And maybe even sprinkle in that word more. I've got a further question I'm going to ask you about character shortly, but uh, but at least link together change maker and gatherer for me. Well, so the way that we talk about change makers um, and leadership in general, right? Because it's really just leadership. Um, it's always about serving the others. It's always about transforming the community. So you could feel a calling, you could feel an assignment to go become an Olympic ski jumper or to do something heroic, to climb a mountain. And it might be just about you. It might be just about you and your character and your relationship with God. Great. That does not make you a change maker. Hmm. What makes you a change maker is that your trophy that you're pursuing is about delivering the promised goods to the people you love and the communities you care about. You're doing it for the other people. And so, you know, 
does that take, does it always take gathering? Not necessarily. I mean, your, your group might be right around you. For example, if, if you have to deliver something for your family, they're already with you, they're already around you. Right. But fundamentally it's about transforming that community because here's the point, Tim right now, today, as a change maker, who's feeling the call of a change maker, you're standing on one side and the trophy is on the other side. And there's a raging fire in between you. And the only thing that's keeping you from going and holding that trophy and delivering that trophy to the people you love and the communities you care about is that fire that's threatening to destroy you. In order to pass through that fire, it's going to take more than your willpower. It's going to take you and the community creating the right psychological conditions, which the research describes in what's called self-determination theory for any readers who are familiar with that. But community is critical to you being able to pass through the fire. It's crucial. And you're not only trying to just win some trophy as in like a revenue goal or student achievement goal or something like that. You're actually trying to change the world for the people, which means you have to change the people for the world. And so fundamentally being a change maker is always about bringing the others with you into the journey. Yeah, I, I love the thought of that. And I, as you were doing that, I was, I've got so many different things popping around. First of all, when you were talking about doing something different, the first thought that came to mind was, should everyone drop everything and just move into an RV just to go through that process? <laughs> Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> no, probably not. Even though it, you wouldn't it, have any place to park your RV. if they yeah, did that. I almost wish some people would stop. But but I think <laughs> the way we started this was valuable in that that is a um, it's a symbol of what you just talked about. It's putting yourself in that position to be uncomfortable, to learn, to grow, to to do something different. I, I, I talk often that, you know, people make they either decide on change or change is forced upon them. And I know that a big change in our lives was the downturn after 08. And, mm -hmm. and, and I discuss a great deal. I do it in almost probably every episode. I talk about that it really has made me recognize that change, that, uh, that leadership, character, all of those things, they're more of a journey as opposed to an event. And when you were yes. talking about teaching and training, and I was talking about what I do with the Leadership Institute earlier, that was when people treat this as if it is an event. And that's where, to me, I think it fails. Before we get off character, though, you define leadership as, and I'm, I might butcher the words a little bit. I wrote down the words inspire, create, and, you know, inspiring people to do things that they wouldn't typically do. I could argue, if I want to go negative or dark, that that also is manipulation. And I appreciate that you brought up character because I think that's what distinguishes it. But let's talk about the negative side of, of change maker leaders, of the people that are using this. I think, what is it, Spider-Man that says, with great power comes great what's the saying? Responsibility. Responsibility. So talk about what we observe uh, when, when there's not that character there, when people are using these tools and tactics for personal gain or for whatever you want to call it. And, and I want to use this statement to kind of, to kind of hammer it home. You had a statement somewhere when I was doing research that says, after five years, I grew tired of the corporate elitist model I was serving. I don't care about profit. I care about joy 
and family and community. So tie all that together. Did I throw too much at you? You can handle it. I know you can. I love it. This is, this is so fun. You know, where my mind is going is, um, when I talk about character, I talk about a little bit differently than I think people are used to. I don't talk about character as good or bad. There isn't a character that we're trying to, to, you know, say, this is the right way to do it. Um, other than maybe you can look to the Bible and say, you know, there's a character there, right. That we can aspire to. Um, but character is about, is it helpful or not helpful? Is it efficient or not efficient in reaching the goals that we have in the results that we want? So for example, um, your character, uh, you might have a goal that says, I want to earn a lot of money. Well, does your character fit that goal? If your character is lazy, then you're probably not going to get the results that you want. But if your character is ambitious and diligent and willing to, to be resilient, then you have a greater potential to get the results you want. That's a character that matches the goal. Okay. So what I would focus on instead is what are your values? What are, what is it you're trying to create? And then does your character, is your character getting you that outcome? Because the character that we fight most against or that we deal most with in the work that we do is the character that desires comfort and predictability and consistency but you have a different desire. You want a family that works differently than your family works today. You want a career that works differently than your career works today. You want a neighborhood that works differently than it works today. But your character right now is actually helping to produce the family and the neighborhood and the community that you're part of. So in that sense, it's bad character. You might be a nice guy. You might be a great person. You might be friendly. You might be philanthropic but your character is contributing to the status quo. So your character is now unhelpful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not, um, it's not moving in that direction of more that you mentioned earlier. You talked about, uh, I, I like to use the word increase at times. I, I think that we're in a world that we're designed for increase. And um, anyway, all right. All of that. Well, let me add, well, keep let me going. add to that. So keep going. if you want to talk, talk about growth and increase. Mm -hmm. So what we fundamentally believe is that there are a couple of fundamental universal, um, call them values or desires uh, that people have. And one of those desires is to grow. Mm. Okay. We have that innate inside of us from the day we're born to the day we die. And anybody who is old and says they don't want to grow, I got a story for you. We were just in Florida at my wife's uh, grandmother's house. She's 90 years old. And she said, I was listening to my Sunday morning church program because she never leaves her chair, right? All day long, every day. I was list listening to my Sunday morning church program. And the minister said, do you want your comfort or do you want your cause? Stop looking for comfort and look for your cause. And here's this 90 year old lady that looks at us and she says, I'm just trying to figure out what my cause is. There you go. It's universal. Till the day that you die, deep down inside you, it's a, it's a desire that God planted in you to want to grow. The other universal desire is to belong, okay? Mm -hmm. But not merely to belong to a group of people, but to belong to a group of people who are doing something special. That is inside every single one of us, okay? So the desire to grow and the desire to belong. Now, come back to the idea of is leadership manipulative, okay? It's only manipulative if you're trying to get people to do things that they don't want to do. 
Okay. So I'm saying that you have to get people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. But the way you do that is by getting them to want to do it. And you can spoke, you can focus a lot of time on marketing and sales pitch and making the message sound just right. And that's the skills of leadership. Or you can learn how to tap into people's universal desires for growth and belonging. And when you tap into those, all of a sudden, they start to do things that even they are surprised by. They say, well, I can't even, I couldn't believe that I'm doing these heroic or risky things, but it's because you've tapped into their desire to grow and to belong. You're actually helping them self-actualize, to use Maslow's phrase. You're helping them become the person that they want to become. I mean, you can call that leadership, you can call that manipulative, but that's what being a minister is. It's helping people fulfill their potential as they define it and as God has put it into their hearts. Right. And, you know, like you re referenced earlier, I use the word assignment a lot because it kind of yeah. I, I like it better than calling because I've been in around church world and that word calling kind of gets used mm -hmm. sometimes in some weird ways and all that. It's it, maybe it's all semantics. But but it's interesting to me how so many times. Well, I love that you brought up Maslow because uh, at times I get, I don't know if it's frustrated or just uh, challenged with dealing with people. We'll go back to Maslow for those that don't know, you know, there's the basic needs are met and then relationships. And I don't know how, I don't have them all in my mind, but at the top of that, Maslow speaks of self-actualization, which is the pinnacle, the ultimate of realizing who you are, what you were created to be, and you're actually walking in it to some extent. One of the things, Dan, that I'm always concerned with is that we have such large percentages of our world, our society, our culture, our communities that are so stuck in those lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy. They are just getting by. They are just concerned about, you know, getting food on the table, roof overhead, safety, security, those things. I always wonder how, number one, people that and I don't want to make us elitist, you used the word elitist, that we're better than them. But how do we interact with those people when we might be higher up that uh, pyramid that, you know, Maslow talked about? Do, do you just work with the people that want to work with you? Or are we to jump down and help minister to, influence, uh, do all that we can to help those folks also? Well, I think it comes back to something that's been on my mind since I listened to your episode about, um, you know, finding purpose. And I really loved the way that you talked about that because I am surrounded by people who do a lot of research on purpose. They talk a lot about purpose finding and, and there's a certain way that people talk about that, that, that gives you the impression that you need to go find a monastery up in the mountains in Hebrew Valley and lock yourself away for a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, however long it takes until a scroll is delivered from heaven that says, this is what you will do, right? And that's just not the way that it works. I look at my own experience, the situation or the experience of hundreds of people that I've helped and I go, that's not how it happens. How it happens is you enter what we call the crucible or the hero's journey. You get focused learning about yourself and about the world, deliberate experimentation. You start doing things differently and deep reflection. And over time, you discover the assignment. Sometimes you discover the assignment when it's halfway over or two thirds over. You know, I've been doing this all along. Like you said, it might be the grandchild that you, you feel stuck, you know, babysitting or, or taking care of. And you wanted to go travel the world and somehow your life didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. 
But when you start to change your assumptions about who you are, about who God is, about who the other people are, about what the situation is, all of a sudden you realize I have so much contribution to make in the world around me. So when I talk about change maker or someone who feels called to change the world, some people get put off and they say, well, I, I'm not Gandhi. I'm not trying to do you know, global change. I'm saying, no, it's your world. And it always starts at home. I can tell you right now, people come to us when, when I used to run the year long program, we'll get back to it. But right now we're focusing on the community. But when I ran the year long program, people come and they come because their business sent them. So they say, my priority is business results. I'm here to make profit. I'm here to make sales or revenue, whatever it is, engagement. And guess what always happens when you do character work? You have to fix what matters most. And so all of a sudden they're coming to us and saying, you wouldn't believe this, but you changed my marriage. Well, we didn't change it. They changed it. But the experience is this. It's been miserable for 20 years and now it's it's totally transformed. Or they'll say, I've been stuck in an abusive relationship for 20 years and I got the courage to leave. They'll say, I've been with three therapists over the last three years and I could never figure this out. And now I've figured it out. I've quit smoking after 40 years, you name it. Whatever is the most important changes for them to make, when you start to change character, they go to that first. Then they can go to the nominal thing, the revenue, the profit, whatever it is, right? But they have a, a different focus when they're pursuing that, okay? So, so when we talk about purpose finding, for me, the most important thing is very similar to what you said on your show. I like to say you can't steer a parked car. The most important thing is just do something different. Get moving. Find an epiphany, something very small, a little insight that says, oh, I like this, or I like that, or, or I'm into this, or I think she needs me, or I think, just go do something. Go have a conversation, go try something, and then reflect on what happened, and that will lead you to the next step. You guide your own journey right? At, at best, we could say you and God together guide your own journey, but your mentor doesn't guide it. Your mom doesn't guide it. Your boss doesn't guide it. Your leadership guru doesn't guide it. You guide your own journey. And until you can make that decision that you will listen to the epiphanies within you, you will go nowhere. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I love about that, and you almost got to preach in there, so that was really good. I, I kind of wound you up a little bit, so I'm, I'm liking where we're headed here. I want to call me back if I'm getting too hot yeah, here. Woo! And I've got so many notes here that we're not going to get to because we're about to talk about community and some of the things you guys have created. The one comment that I want to make, maybe, and I don't know if this is a pet peeve of mine, maybe what I've been through has helped uh, form this, but I, I also look at how in our culture we rank leaders. We might even rank change makers too, by the way, Dan. It's like someone who has done this is more important than the person who has done this. And I, I mean, I, mean, I study a good bit in the scriptures. It sounds like you do also. And I just think we're going to be surprised at some point that we're going to see some names on the hall of hall of fame when we all go to the next realm, heaven, and whatever that looks like. And we're going to think that, you know, Joe, whatever, head of corporate or in politics or whatever, that we all thought was at the pinnacle of whatever we call all this, 
leadership change. And then we're going to see this elderly woman. Maybe it was like your, you know, your wife's grandmother, your mother, you know, where, where she at 90 is looking for just that one other thing to do. And she might feed a couple of people every week. I, I don't know. I'm, and so I've just been in this, maybe it's my age, maybe I'm just kind of getting to where I'm kind of looking at the way we rank it. And to me, one of the things I see that's going on with community that you're doing is maybe you're leveling the playing field. Would that, would that be a fair thing to say? Oh yeah. So, oh yeah, for sure. All right. So cool. All right. So on that note, I want to read a quote that I think it's from a post you did on LinkedIn a while back. And if something oh. that you said earlier didn't make some people mad, this will. <laughs> All right, you ready here? Because I call myself a coach is what I put, because I don't know what else to call myself at times. And your post said, actually, most people need neither a coach, a consultant or a trainer. They don't need any of that. What they need is a community. More specifically, this is from your words right here. I'm quoting you. Yeah. More specifically, what they need is to have the right conversation with the right people in the right mindset. That's the natural way that leadership epiphanies are generated, as is the courage to act on those epiphanies. And it goes on there. But I'm a coach trainer. And you know what? I actually would agree with you. Most people don't need what I do. But that leads into community. And obviously, this community is vital to what you guys are creating at The Crucible Life. Talk to us about how it formed, why it formed, and then we'll go into what all you guys are doing over there if someone wants to check it out and get more information. Yeah, so we, I got into doing corporate leadership work and we ran two leadership programs uh, concurrently for a Fortune 500 company. Had phenomenal results because we were experimenting with the three keys of leadership transformation. That was about the time where I went on the RV trip. And so I saw, I got to see a different part of the country. I got to interact with a different kind of people. And when I got here to Utah and we decided to settle down here, I had six conversations and I've forgotten who some of them were with, but one was with my sister, one was with my cousin, and one was with my new neighbor. And these were all people who were saying, I feel the call of the change maker, but I'm stuck and I don't know where to go. And what I was saying in my heart was, I know how to help them. I know the answer but it's not something I can give them through knowledge transfer. It's not a skill that I can teach them. It's a journey that they have to go on. And what I know is that in order to go on that journey, they need a community. They need the right community to have the right conversations and the right mindset. So I started to say to myself, there's no way I can help them because my clients are fortune 500 companies. You have to have a huge budget, you have to be one of 30 managers who are selected out of 3000 in your company. And, and then we might have the opportunity to work with you. And that's not going to happen for any of these people because one owned her own hair business and one was a, you know, middle manager at a startup company. Right. So how do I help these people was the question on my mind. And I was processing that I, on my deck here, I look over Utah Lake and the Rocky mountains and I was processing that and I had distinct uh, called a revelation, words that felt like they weren't my words that came to me. And they said, you need to develop your public voice. So then I said, okay, why that? Because I don't do Instagram. I don't do Facebook. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm not a social media guy. I'm not on podcasts. And the thought was because you can't do the work that you need to do until you learn how to speak about this stuff to other people. So that started a journey for me. 
And I knew all along that it would require creating a community. Well, I didn't believe, Tim, that you could create an authentic transformational community online. Didn't think you could do it. So I ignored the virtual digital aspects of this for a year and a half. I beat my head against the wall. I gathered meetings. I tried all these things, blogs, podcasts, nothing was working to develop the community. And then I participated in a workshop about becoming a better writer. And inadvertently, I connected with somebody I had never met. And I started to care about her story. We talk a lot about stories in our workshops. I started to connect with her story. I started to care. It was just a little seed. But I walked away from that experience. And I said, if that is possible, then this is possible. We can do online, authentic, transformational communities. And so that's a series of events that led, you know, that kept going on that till eventually launching what we call the crucible life, which is an online community for change makers. We are gathering the world's change makers. I don't care if you are Gandhi's son, or if you are, you know, grandma Betty sitting in Florida in her trailer house. Okay. If you feel the call of the change maker, talk about level of the playing field. We don't care what your title is because you are no better or no different than anybody else. And you're also no worse than anybody else. If you have the call of the change maker, it means God has planted that desire in your heart. And what we believe is that if you get around the right people who think like you, who feel like you, who are on the journey like you, and you have conversations with them, that's all it takes. The right conversation with the right people in the right mindset, it will generate the epiphanies, the roadmap comes from within you. And it will generate the courage to go act on those epiphanies. Because by the way, every epiphany comes with a feeling of, I should do something different. Okay. So we usually get those epiphanies and go, oh, no, no, I want comfort, safety, and security. But the epiphany says, go do something different. When you're in the community, you have the courage to actually go do it. That starts the journey. Sure. Because just like we were talking about earlier, let's keep using the go live in an RV uh, example, mm -hmm. most of the people around us said, you're going to do what? And these were family mm -hmm. and things like that. Now, what's interesting, we start talking to strangers and others. They go, that's awesome. We would love to do that. But, you know, the, the, the family that wants to protect you and take care of you and make sure you don't do anything crazy or unsafe, mm -hmm. we'll use the words we used earlier. Uh, they're like trying to talk us out of it. And so I, that is such a cool thing with the, uh, the, the community that you're creating, you know, you, you brought up the, you know, the example with grandma Betty and, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking earlier and I'm going to go back to, and I'm trying to find it here in my notes where you said, I don't care about profit because if one did care about profit, let's just go ahead and say some other things about the industry that we're in. You go to the highest levels of corporate, and you work with corporate leaders and they write big checks with a lot of zeros. Um, and I'm gonna, I won't point blank ask you what this community looks like as far as an investment, because I think people do need to invest. But I'm guessing that you're not charging $100,000 a year for people to be a part of this. Would that be correct? That's correct. It's yeah. a little less than a hundred thousand a year. <laughs> a little less. Good. We don't have to go into details because I actually went and I see you have a waiting list right now. So, uh, but, and the reason I bring that up is because I don't think if you were driven by profit, you would have structured it, structured it this way. Correct. That's correct. I mean, 
part of what we're doing. So my personal mission is to make this accessible to the masses. That doesn't mean to make it free and available to everyone, but it just means anyone in any station of life should be able to be part of this. Right. And we're actually, we're actually getting ready to make some major changes in how we're doing this because we're learning and growing as we launch this. Um, so in May, uh, we're going to be doing some things different. So, I mean, this isn't really a plug, but in May, we're letting people participate for free, right? So if people sign up between now and May 1st, or even during the month of May, they can participate for free. And then we're asking our own members, hey, you paid this much to get in. And they've all actually paid a different rate. They don't even know that, but we've just been experimenting. And we're trying to find that rate that says, I can afford this, but it makes me cringe. Because that's the point at which people say, I really want this. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. All right. A couple things related to the community. Do you think, I loved how you were transparent and said, you didn't think you could do something like this online, digitally. And, right. and it looks as if you've had this in place kind of pre-pandemic before, let's say, February of 2020. Is that, did y'all start it before then, correct? No, we actually didn't. Oh, so no, you started is... it. Did the pandemic, I guess what I, my question then, that, that really leads into my question. How did the pandemic, all that went on in the world, everybody working from home, how did it impact what you're currently doing with the community? Not at all. Okay. So in December of 2019 is when I had the epiphany that we could do this virtually. Nice. And then I started to learn and I started to experiment. The pandemic hit. And of course, everybody said, this is a great time to go virtual. And I watched a bunch of people in our industry just race onto the virtual. And I tried to be very deliberate, very reflective and take each step at a time. We ended up holding a, what, we, what we called a beta workshop last fall. And this was our first chance to experiment with doing online community. We only had six people that we invited in. Six out of six people said, this changed my life. So then we said, okay, now it's ready for the next iteration, which is to start to scale it. So I'm going to be honest with you, with anybody that ever asks me, do I know how to create an online authentic transformational community? No. But here's what I do know is that I am absolutely committed to learning how to create that. Mm -hmm. So we, we officially launched this version of the community in January, and we've had a major iteration, a major pivot in March, and we're doing a major pivot in May. And to some of my co-creators who are now part of this, they were kind of a little bit worried, like, is this too much too fast, right, to, to be doing all these changes? And I said, hey, look, until we find the recipe, we will introduce flux and change and uncertainty and risk every chance we get. And when we find the model that works, then we'll start to learn how to reinforce that and stabilize that. But we will not start to reinforce and stabilize a culture and a structure that we know doesn't work, right? Or that isn't getting us the absolute results that we want. So a lot of what's going on right now is we're having great results, but they're not scalable, right? And so at each turn, it's like, okay, how do you scale this from six to 20, from 20 to 100, from 100 to 1,000, right? So that's kind of the journey that we're on is, and as people come in, it's so fun to watch them come in because they say, we know that you're building this. We know that you're launching this. We actually want to be part of that because you want to, you want to know the truth, Tim, the content that you and I create, cause we're both content creators. It's, it's good content. Your content is better than most content because you're introducing 
authentic stories, right? People are hearing your story. They're hearing my story. That's what causes people to change. That's the content that's really meaningful. So what we're actually inviting people in to do right now is watch us take the journey. We're going to teach you. We're going to guide you. We're going to give you, give you tools and resources and all those things. But almost the biggest value that we're giving you at this point is you get front row tickets to a transformational initiative that I promise you, I guarantee you, is going to, to sweep the world. It's going to make a splash. At some point, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'll say at some point, all of your listeners will know what the crucible life is. Yeah, It's going to be that big. So the cool thing about this is that as you're discussing this and saying you're iterating, you're changing, you're pivoting, I'm actually having this funny thought in my mind going, well, of course you're iterating. You've got change maker baked in. The crucible yes. doesn't really, that doesn't really project this. Okay, we're going to get it to the place we want it to be. And then we're never going to make any change for the next five years. No, you've baked that into the whole name of the community. This is going to be a constantly changing and evolving process, which, which is what I love. See, I, I always get aggravated and annoyed when people think that learning, education, change is an event. I know it's a process. And that's one of the things that I preach and talk about often. I, I do. You brought up some things, though. It's kind of this is my almost last question. We're running up against our time here. But I love to ask, you mentioned a few things that might be technical in nature, but what have you learned about yourself through this process, Dan? Because you are, you're obviously in the process of stretching, you're growing, you're building something new, you're in the midst of change maker, you're living the change maker life. But since say December of 19, what have you learned about Dan during that time? This is a great question because I am on the journey, right? And we call it the crucible okay. life because it reflects not just a one-time event to your point, but it's a choice. You join us, you're making a choice to live this way for the rest of your life, right? To constantly be taking the journey. So when I started teaching, okay, so when I was a leader inside corporate and I was leading change, people would say to me, you are a leader. You found your calling, and then when I was asked to come out and teach, I really struggled because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be a leader. I should work in corporate. I should become a CEO, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I started teaching and people said to me, you found your calling. This is what you should do for the rest of your life, right? And so I kind of hunkered down. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand in front of people and teach. And um, what I've discovered over the last year and a half as I've, as I've worked on a podcast, I've worked on a blog, I've worked on the, the newsletter, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do, right? From a, from a digital world standpoint. I discovered this very recently um, where I was actually drywalling this wall back behind me in my home office. And I had this epiphany. And the epiphany was, I don't like teaching. <laughs> I don't like managing. I don't like teaching. You know what I love to do? I love to transform people. Mm. I love to transform communities. I love to gather people and to help them do things they would never have dreamed of doing. That's what I love. And guess what? That's what I did when I was a project manager, when I was a CEO. I was just helping people do things they never dreamed possible. That's what I did as a teacher. 
I was actually leading them as a teacher. And now that's what I'm doing in this digital environment is I'm helping a group of people create something in their lives and for the world that they never dreamed was possible. And so that's why I, you know, I start out the show when you say, what is it you do? I say, I'm a gatherer. I'm a transformer. I am a change maker, Tim. Like that's who I am. It's, it's my identity. It doesn't matter if I'm talking to Jolene, my wife, to my kids, if I'm talking to the business partners, if I'm talking to the to church community, like everything about what I do and see and think and say is from the standpoint of how can we create excellence with each other? Yeah. So here's a trick question. How old are you, Dan? Not I'm 40. You're 40. Okay. So you're a little younger than I am. Does it bother you at all that it almost took, I'm not going to say it took 40 years, but that it almost took 40 years for you to step into, walk into that identity? It's a trick question, but answer, answer that. You know, I don't, it doesn't bother me because, and some people ask the question, like, could you ever go, would you ever go back and do something different? Like, do I have regrets? Do I wish things that sometimes, of course, have I had failures as a change maker? Of course. But I look back on it. I'm like, there's no possible way that I could have gotten here today without all the experiences that I've been through. Right. And those are experiences in business, but experiences with family, with the RV, with cancer, with you name it. Right. So we've had all those experiences and that's what's led us here today. And the only fear that I have is that in another 40 years, I'll look and act. Well, I wouldn't mind if I look the same way in 40 years, but my character will look the same as it looks today. That would be a crying shame. Well, here's what we know, just the nature of looking back and looking forward, that this is all, like we said, the process, the journey. And because you're embracing change maker and you're embracing the identity of gatherer, that you're in a process. And that if we have this conversation a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we will still be talking, I think about general concepts, but we actually may be discussing some different things which I have come to embrace because there was a period of time where I was wanting to get to a place and everything I did was working towards getting to an, a destination and then going, I've arrived. And that is not what the world is all about, correct? Well, my first CEO, I spent a lot of time with him. I was a young 24, 25 year old. We were sitting around talking about recruiting people and he had a budget constraint that he couldn't hire the best the best people in the industry so he said to me you know you know what we need dan that's how i talked you know what we need dan we need to find people who are done climbing the mountain and i said what do you mean and he said and he was speaking specifically of men but i don't know if he was generalizing it to all mankind or not but he said every man starts his career to climb the mountain and at some point they all realize there's no top to the mountain and then they're ready to just hunker down and, and do good work or whatever, something along those lines. And so for the longest time, Tim, I thought that I needed to be wary and careful of falling into the trap of climbing the mountain. Hmm. But now let me tell you the flip side story of a gentleman. So, so with the university of Michigan, I sometimes facilitate towards the end of one of their executive programs. So at the end of this program, there's a gentleman on the call and he's an immigrant from Baghdad. He's launched a bunch of companies, sold a bunch of companies, started a nonprofit, he's had this great career. And he's like 52 or 54 years old. And he's not only bored out of his gourd, but he feels worthless. And he's saying to himself, I've already conquered the mountain. 
he actually did reach the top. He's like, no, there's nothing else out there that interests me in any way, shape or form. The idea of starting another business, blah, it's too boring, right? Well, and that all goes into flow theory and things like that, right? But the point is, and we helped him have a, a major life epiphany, which was you have the desire to grow and to become. It is part of who you are. If you turn away from that desire, you will become miserable, okay? So climbing the mountain, if the mountain is tangible recognition and goods and, and, and profits and monies and boats and things like that, go ahead, keep climbing that mountain until you find it because you will never find the growth and the personal uh, uh, achievement or the personal uh, satisfaction that you, that you desire. But if you ever stop climbing the mountain of personal growth and achievement, you will shut down as a human being because it's part of who you are. It's baked in. Yeah. All right. So all of that. All right. So here's the deal, Dan. I've probably got about another hour's worth of stuff we could chat about, but we've butted up against our time already. I, you and I are just going to have to stay connected and we may circle back and do something yeah. different, maybe do some live stuff and all of that. But one of the things that I can tell that you're doing with the crucible life is you're allowing people to step into a community that desire to, I don't, maybe the word control, but they want to control that epiphany instead of allowing like a few things that some of us go through in life where the epiphany controls us. In other words, the downturn I went through in 08, I went through a lot of change. It was great, yeah. but it was not, I didn't have control over it. And I think a lot of people right. are that way. So tell people now, we'll include it in the notes. Tell us the crucible life, what they can do. Now, some people might be listening to this, obviously in spring, you know, April, May, if they're listening to it, uh, where we've done the Facebook live, some people might be listening on into July when the actual podcast releases. So keep in mind that the timing could be a little bit different, but just go ahead. I want to give you the opportunity, give us the pitch, the, the, tell us why people need to head that direction and check out the crucible life. And again, we'll include notes. This is just for those people listening in. Yeah, there is no pitch because we just did the pitch. We did it I for mean, the whole if, time. <laughs> if the kind of things we're talking about stirs something up in people and if they say, boy, I, I think I might be a change maker or I would like to be a change maker or I know I'm a change maker and I want to be around other change makers, we've got the place for you. We've, we're creating the home of the change makers, is what we call it. So come to cruciblelife.com. There's some videos on there that you can watch and sort of reassess. And, you know, this isn't a, a free for all. Uh, because we need to make sure that the right people are coming in. So we do have a little bit of a wait list process, um, but you can, you can go there, you can sign up and then somebody will reach out to you and it's pretty painless, but we're just, just a little, just a little check-in to say, Hey, are you sure this is you? And, and um, it's a light, it's a light touch community. I'll, I'll be honest. It's not like we're putting any burdens or expectations on people. And, and sometimes Tim, people just don't understand when I say this, but the value is just simply being able to identify with the club. Like mm. that changes something about how you live your daily life. You walk around and you go, I belong to the change makers club. I'm one of the change makers. I, I talk about us like the Jedi's we're the Jedi's we're the master builders. We're the, we're the, 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 uh, the ninjas or the whatever that are spread out throughout the world. We're not the top of the food chain, but we're just all over the world. We're the people that are quietly and consistently choosing to live the crucible life so that we can deliver the trophy to the people that we love and the communities we care about. If that's you and you're listening to this, join us. Excellent. So 
cruciblelife.com. We'll put, we'll make sure we have links down there. Uh, I've got one last question and I gave you a little bit of warning on it, but we are seek, go, create here on our podcast, YouTube and everything. And Dan, I'd just like to ask as we wrap up here, which one of those words resonates with you more than the other two and why? And actually, I view them all as synonyms of each other. <laughs> no, they're a little different. There's, there's differences there. You're not going to. There are different. There are differences, but they all relate to the three keys of leadership transformation. Mm. I'll pick one because you asked me the question. Yes, thank you. I'll yes. pick the word "go," okay? Because you can't steer a parked car. Even if you don't join my community, even if you don't do anything different, you know, related to anything we talked about, just go do something different. That's where it starts. Find an epiphany, something inside of you. You listen to this for, I don't know how long we've been talking, an hour or so. You listen to this for an hour. I guarantee you that you had at least, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've had at least a dozen epiphanies while you've been listening to this. If you'll take the time to stop and reflect and understand what was that epiphany? What was that moment of self-awareness? And what was the I should? What was that feeling inside of me that said, oh, I should go do something different? If you can capture that epiphany and that I should write it down, I like how you told people to journal, write it down and then commit to go do something to act on that epiphany and see what happens. That is excellent. Dan, I knew I would enjoy this conversation. It has been so much fun. My only challenge has been that I probably had so much more that we could have discussed, but we will pause for now. And I just want to encourage those of you listening in, if you're on socials or YouTube or on the podcast, go check Dan out, go check out the crucible life, go, go just see what's going on over there because the message of what we've been doing with this podcast, with our channel. Literally, I'm not sure that Dan and I could have defined it better by just the way we came together. Everything about his mission and what they're doing is all about what we are doing. We're redefining the way culture and the world has defined leadership and change and all of those things. So please go check it out. I loved how he said go. Go check it out. I'd also encourage you as a finish up here, go and make sure you subscribe. If you're not subscribed to us here at Seek Go Create, go and do one other thing. If this has impacted you, share it. Take a picture of the image. If you're listening on podcasts, share it on your socials. If you're watching it or listening on socials, please share it. People, the world, our culture needs more of this message. Dan and I are not saying we have all the answers, but we're saying that the push behind it is where we truly believe things need to go. So I am thankful. I'm thankful for Dan. Thank you again for sharing. And I'm thankful for you that are listening. Thank you so much. And until we speak again, continue being all that you were created to be.